Hello and welcome everyone to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. It's good to be with you today. And uh, today, as I mentioned, is a special day in the life of our church because we get to celebrate together around the Lord's table and every Thanksgiving. Well, that's always been a big deal for me growing up. Uh, Thanksgiving always involved a meal, and we would gather around the table together. And, and uh, Now, it's a little different in my house than it was when I was growing up, uh, because when I grew up, um, my mom would actually cook and put things on the table, and we would pass things around the table and serve our plates and all that. Well, our household, it's just easier to cook it and put it on the counter and everybody line up and fix a plate and go sit down. And that's the kind of the way we do it now. Uh, but each of those traditions are important for us as uh, we have opportunity to just kind of celebrate around the table together. Now, I want to share with you a passage of Scripture as we prepare uh, to, to celebrate the Lord's Supper together to kind of help you understand and uh, remember some things about uh, the Lord's Supper. And it comes from the writing of the Apostle Paul when he's writing to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth celebrated the Lord's Supper every time they met together. Uh, every time they had a meeting, they would come together and they would have the Lord's Supper as an opportunity to remember. That's not unusual, that was pretty common. Uh, for the early church, every time they got together, they remembered the focus of the early church uh, was always on the resurrection of Jesus and, and what he did and what he provided for them. So it's not surprising that every time they got together, they had the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm not sure if this is the reason, but, but I think uh, that sometimes when you do the same thing every time you meet, there's always the challenge that it loses significance. Does that make sense? You know, I, I could give you an example. When I grew up, I grew up in a little church, and every Sunday morning, we started our church the same way. And you may have grown up in a church that your church started the same way ours did. We would always sing the doxology. Do you know the doxology? That song, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. And because we did that every Sunday morning from the time I was old enough, I, you know what? I paid no attention to what was being said. I didn't pay any attention to the song. I didn't pay any. It was just, it was just, like, um, it was just like opening the door and we're starting. That's what it was about. And so I just kind of realized that, that sometimes we can do something over and over and over again, and, and it loses its significance, and we have to stop sometimes and reboot and recalibrate and reset uh, just so that we can get back to that place. And I think that's what happened in Corinth. They were celebrating the Lord's Supper, and it got to the point where they had forgotten the significance of it. It had become something that they just did every time they got together and they even began to abuse the whole purpose of the Lord's Supper. And some people had 
resources and other people didn't. And the people that had resources became really kind of, you know, selfish and, and, and somewhat frustrated with the people that, that, that didn't. And all kinds of strife begins to emerge. And so the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he addresses the issue of the Lord's Supper. Now, as he addresses these problems, he really kind of helps us understand what it's all about so that we can kind of hit the reset button ourselves. And, um, and what I wanna do in our time together, there, there are six words that I think describe what Paul says in these verses that I'm gonna read for you. And we're gonna look at those six words before we celebrate uh, our, uh, our time around our Lord's table. Now, it's recorded for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, Paul is writing 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, and he starts talking about the Lord's Supper. And that's really interesting because he begins by, by talking about a personal revelation that he's had with regard to that. And he says in verse 23 of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, now you remember I told you, whenever you're reading the Bible and you find the word therefore, what do you do? You always ask yourself the question, what is it there for? It connects you to what he has just said. So he said, just because I've told you what Jesus said, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And he who eats and drinks and eats uh, eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brother, whenever you come together to eat, Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him, let, let him eat at home so that he will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. So you can tell in that text that Paul is addressing a problem that was happening in the church. But as he addresses the problem, he kind of helps us understand the significance and value of the Lord's Supper. So I want to just give you six words that I think kind of capture what Paul is talking about in the text. Now, the first word that captures what he is saying is the word commemoration. Paul is saying that you are to do this, and he says it three times, in remembrance of me. This is what I got from Jesus. He said, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you do this 
in remembrance of me. It is to commemorate the death of Christ. In verse 20, he refers to this as the Lord's Supper. What that literally means is that he's the host and we are the guests. And this is what I think Jesus is saying. Life is so busy and so many things happen and so many things compete for our attention. I want you to come and sit down at my table and turn your cell phones off. Put them away. I want you for just this moment to focus and think about me. I want you to remember what happened. I, I, I want you to know who you are. I want you to know who I am. And I want you to know whose you are. So I want you to turn your phone off. I want you to turn off all the distractions. No football games in the background. No, no dog shows going on. I want you to just sit there for a moment. And I know it's hard. And I know it's difficult because you're not used to stopping. And you're not used to focusing. And you're used to multitasking. But just stop. And remember. Remember. Isn't it interesting? He says, I want you to remember my death. He didn't tell us to remember his birth. We do a better job remembering his birth, don't we, than his death. Christmas tree, Christmas season, celebrating the birth of Christ, but nowhere in the Bible does he say, remember my birth. It's, it's fine that we do. But he did say this, remember my death. I don't want you to forget how I died, I don't want you to forget why I died. Because if you remember that, it changes everything in your life. So he teaches us to commemorate this moment. Jesus, when he met with his disciples, they were there to commemorate another moment in history. That moment in history when when God delivered the nation of Israel when they were in bondage in Egypt and God raises up Moses and sends Moses and Moses comes before Pharaoh and all the plagues happen. And the final plague is that the death angel will pass over and, and God told Moses very specifically, you tell all the people to bring a lamb into the house and to kill that lamb. And, and, and now think about this, you gotta bring the lamb into your house and it's gonna stay with you for a little while. And you know what's going to happen? The kids are going to fall in love with it, right? We used to, when I was growing up, we used to raise a, 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 a young calf to eat every year. And so we had, a, we had a little pastor and we would raise a calf. And you know what my dad would always say to us? Don't name the calf. Don't name the calf. And, and it was good reason. He would tell us not to name the calf. My brother always did. I never did, but my brother did. And, and then I figured out why dad would always say, don't name the calf. Because every time we would sit down to eat, I would say, that's, that's Barney. <laughs> and then my brother wouldn't want it. You know, it's like, oh, man. But Jesus, you know, God did that on purpose. He said, bring this lamb in here. 
And then I'm going to have you kill that lamb. And it's going to break your heart. And you're going to say, wait a minute, this is so cruel, so mean. Why would he do that? Because God's making a point in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. He's helping us understand how bad our sin is and how that the only way that we can be forgiven is, is for the innocent substitute to die in our place. And they killed that lamb and they took the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost. And, and as the death angel passed over Egypt, everyone who had prepared and put blood on the doorpost, the death angel passes over and everybody in that house is safe because of the lamb. And everything in the Old Testament points to the New Testament where Jesus himself would become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he would die, and it would be his blood shed to pay the penalty for our sin. So he says, I want you to stop what you're doing, and I want you to put your cell phone down, and I want you to put every distraction away, and I want you to, to focus your attention, commemoration, remember what I've done for you. Now, the second word that emerges out of the first is appreciation, right? Because the moment we stop to say, wow, look what he did for me, our hearts are overwhelmed with thanksgiving. Why would he do that for me? We are reminded of the first three chapters. We've been going through the book of Romans, and, and the first three chapters of Romans are so dark, right? Paul says, hey, I want you to know you are a sinner separated from God, and there's nothing you can do about it. And by the way, for those of you that are in church that think you are better off than the people that are outside of the church, you're not any better off. You are a sinner, and you're separated from God, and there's nothing you can do about it either. And then he doubles down and says, oh, and in case you didn't get it, what I'm saying to you is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and none of you, none of you can fix it. And then when he lets that settle in, all of a sudden we get chapter 4 and 5 where he says, but, hey, God did for you what you can't do for yourself. And when we confront God's faithfulness against the backdrop of our sin, what happens? Thank you. Man, I couldn't fix this. There's nothing I can do. And you did for me what I can't do. So the next word is appreciation. It's a time of thanksgiving. And then in verse 26, Paul said, it's also a time of proclamation. Now get this. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim something. He said, you're saying something when you take this cup. You're making a statement. You are sharing the gospel every time you participate in this event. What you're really saying is that it is the shed blood of Jesus Christ that covers my sin. It is his body that was given for me that made it possible for me to be made right with God. That's the gospel, isn't it? Do you understand as a parent that every time we have the Lord's Supper, it's the perfect opportunity for you to share the gospel with your children? What are we doing? Why can't I have that? I want that. Let me explain to you, honey, what it means. Jesus died for us because we are sinners separated from him. 
And our sin is so bad that the only way that God could forgive us, the penalty for sin is death. Somebody had to die, and Jesus died for us. And Paul says you proclaim that every time. Do you know the two ordinances in the church are both opportunities for us to preach the gospel? One of them is the Lord's Supper. The other one's baptism. And what do we say in baptism? Paul again said baptism is a picture of the death burial and resurrection of Christ. That's why we insist on being baptized the biblical way. Biblically, no, no question about this, no argument that it's always by immersion. It's always all the way under the water. Why? Because it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's proclaiming the gospel. And so also is our experiencing the Lord's Supper together. The fourth thing that we've got to do is this. Commemoration, appreciation, proclamation, and then examination. Paul said in verse 27 and 28, this is a serious deal because sin is serious. We know sin's serious because the only way that it can be dealt with is for someone to die the way Jesus did in our place. And because sin is so serious, we got to deal with it. He said, examine yourself. The word examine literally means to prove yourself, to qualify yourself. There are two ways that you are qualified to receive the Lord's Supper. You see, what we're doing today is not for everybody. Now, you don't have to be a member of our church to participate with us. But this isn't for everybody. There's two qualifications you've got to meet. One of them is that you've got to be a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You've come to a place where you've recognized I am a sinner separated from God. I can't save myself. And so I ask God to forgive me come into my life and I give him my life. I accept Jesus as my savior. By doing that, you become a child of God. You are born into the family of faith. It's by, by faith that we do that. That's the first qualification. Here's the second one. If you've already done that, you've accepted Christ, you know, the second one is that we got to make sure that our heart is right with him now. What God is saying is, I want you to stop for a moment and just assess where are we at together? How are we doing as we're sitting here in this moment and the cell phone's off and the TV's off and, and, and you're able to focus on me, how are we doing? Is there anything in your life right now that you know I don't want there? And if there is, would you just confess it as sin and turn from it right now? And can we just move that out of the way? so that we can just be restored together at the table so that we can, we can be that family again that we need to be. So, so this is a time for you to look at your life. Is there anything in your life that you know God doesn't want there? Are you willing right now to say, God, this is an area of my life that, that I need to give to you. I've not done that and I need to do that at this moment, ask you to forgive me. Now, I wanna tell you something. We don't often say this, but there may be sin in your life that's a result of a relationship you have with somebody else. 
Maybe you've harbored bitterness and anger. And, and you know what? God's put his finger on that. And he says, you know what? Why don't you go fix that? So that we can be okay. And for some of you, you may need to say today, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper today until I deal with this other thing. There's somebody I need to say, I'm sorry to. There's somebody I need to ask forgiveness from. And there's somebody, that I, there's something I need to fix. And, and you may not even be able to fix it, but you can, you can go to that person and offer and ask and seek for that forgiveness. Now, that's not an excuse. And if some of you are here today will say, well, I'm just not going to participate in the Lord's Supper because I've got sin in my life. I want to stay there. And I'm not willing to give up. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to turn my back on it. That's a cop-out. And the bottom line is, if you're his, be his. I'm asking you to stop and remember what he did for you. And to recognize what he did for you requires from us a full commitment. So examine your life. Identify sin. Confess it. Turn from it so that he can forgive you. And then fix it if you need to. And the fifth word is consideration. It's interesting in verse 33. He says, so when you come together and eat, wait on one another. Paul is saying, guys, in the church, there are people that are so different than you are. You know what I love about our church is there are people in our church that are so different than you are. We are so diverse. We had an ESL banquet this past Thursday night and, and we had, let me look, I want to think we had right at 200 people here. Is that right? I wrote it down somewhere. It's down there. I think we had around, around 200 people here. International, people from all over the world. And you know what Paul said? Whenever you have the Lord's Supper together, this is what I want you to remember. Listen, listen. This is good. Do you know that God loves the person on your right just as much as he loves you? And God loves the person on your left just as much as he loves you? And God loves the person in front of you and God loves the person in back of you and if God loves the person on either side of you and the person in back of you and the person in front of you, then we need to love them too. And sitting around the table allows us to say, you know what? God loves you and you're a part of the family and I'm gonna love you with his love too. Well, the final word and I love this one in verse 26. He said, uh, he said, you're going to proclaim, that was one of the words, you're going to proclaim my death until I come again. There, there's that word anticipation, right? Not only do we sit around the table and remember, we don't just get to look back, we get to look ahead. And we remember that when Jesus died and he rose again, that he spent time with the disciples. And then this is the forgotten part of the story sometimes. He ascended. 
and the disciples were together with him on the Mount of Olives and he ascended and he just was lifted up into heaven and they stood there gawking into the sky. Like I have never seen anything like this. I didn't think you could top all the other stuff I saw and now I see this and this is just mind blowing and I can't believe this has just happened. And they're standing there gawking and while they're standing there gawking an angel appears and says to them, hey guys, hey, 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 look, look. What are you looking at? This same Jesus who just went to heaven, he's coming back. He's coming back. So go live your life with an absolute understanding that he's coming again. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's an opportunity for us to commemorate, remember what he did, to have a heart of appreciation filled with thanksgiving, to recognize that this is an opportunity to proclaim to everyone seeing that, that, that the way you're made right with God is through his death on the cross, the blood that he shed, the body that was destroyed for us. It's a time of examination to look at our own heart and our relationship with him, a time of consideration for everybody else and a time of anticipation. I think those words kind of capture what Paul says. So let's do that. In the moments that we have before us today, I want you to do whatever you have to do to tune out everything around you and focus on the moment. We're gonna to celebrate together by taking the, the little cup that you received when you came in. If you didn't receive that, they're available at the entrance. You're gonna pick up that little cup and we're going to together um, do what Jesus said do. On one side, like an hourglass, there's a little wafer we'll begin with that. And we'll tear that off and we'll take that together. And once we take that and you put that in your hand, I want you to just stop with it in your hand and focus. And as a song is played, do whatever you have to do to tune out everything around you and focus on this reality. Jesus went to the cross for you. Nails in his wrist, in his feet, beaten beyond recognition for you. He died the death you, because of your sin, deserve. And the scripture said, as we were reading, that Jesus said to his disciples, hey guys, take this bread. So let's take this bread. Take this bread. This is my body that's given for you. You focus on that.
scripture says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate and died, but he who eats this bread lives forever. You join me. After he had given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you. So in these moments, do whatever you have to do to focus on that part of what Jesus did for you. Scriptures say that I might almost always say that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You join me. Now, Lord's Supper time always seems solemn, right? Because we don't stop much and think and reflect. And it is a solemn moment to realize the enormous price that was paid. 
But when we let that soak in for a second, it kind of gives way to celebration. And that's what happened with the disciples in that upper room because the Bible said when they finished, they sang a song together. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it sounded very good because I'm just not convinced that the people Jesus picked as followers were good singers. But boy, they sang from the heart that day as they remembered and as they reflected on the new covenant that God had made available for them in Jesus. Not even fully understanding, but we do fully understand. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.